0: Thank you, Danny. Until the day we go to, do go to be home, we should be striving to live in light of Scripture, and Proverbs gives us a lot of guidance on how to live well, how to live wise. As we interact with the Gospel of Mark this morning, let's take a few moments in silence. <clears throat> you share with the Lord your desire to be sensitive to God's Word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that because of Christ, we have hope. We know that Christ is our life. We have an expectation concerning the future. Until then, we do want to be faithful. We want to focus on the eternal as we live in the present. And thank you for giving us the Gospels which reveal Christ, how he lived and how he responded. We want to be attentive hearers, doers of your word today. For it's in Christ's name I pray, amen. Imagine that you desire to destroy or render ineffective the body of Christ in the world. You desire to destroy or render ineffective the body of Christ in the world. You get two action steps and only two what action steps would you take? Just ponder that a moment. You want to render the body of Christ in the world ineffective or you want to destroy it. You get two action steps. What would they be? The sermon title I listed in the bulletin wasn't worded quite the way it should have been. But is a wall with a without a foundation, a wall. Is a wall without a foundation a wall? Think about that as we discuss Christ in the Gospel of Mark. We've been discussing Mark's Gospel, took a break as we dealt with, after we dealt with Mark chapter 5, the casting out of the legion of demons, dealt some with satanic work in our world. I want to go back to Mark's Gospel And this morning, I want to just consider an overview of Mark's gospel as it relates to understanding where Mark is coming from, understanding where Christ is coming from. You will find that there are situations that Jesus confronted which express his character, his identity, and his being. And they're presented in all the gospels, but since we're in Mark's gospel, we want to just look at several passages we would have covered in the past. In Mark chapter 1, 23 through 25, we find that a man possessed by an evil spirit confronts Jesus. Jesus is teaching in the synagogue. He's taught with authority. And Mark 1 in verse 23 says, just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. Jesus was able to cast out the evil spirit, demonstrating who he was in his character, his being, his identity. Simon's mother-in-law in chapter one, we find in verse 29, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went out They went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever. They told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. This fever left her, and she began to wait on them. Again, a healing by Christ, showing who he is and his character, his identity, his being. In chapter 1 and verse 32, we won't read it, but we find that people brought the sick and the demon possessed to Jesus. And what did he do? He healed them. He cast out demons. In chapter 1, verses 40 through 42, we find a man who has leprosy. And what happens? Verse 40, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you're willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Again, showing Christ and who he is and his identity, his character, and it is his being. In chapter 2, 1 through 12, we find that a paralyzed man is lowered in front of Jesus after the roof, part of the roof was removed. And Jesus, first of all, forgave the man his sins <coughs> and then said, get up, take your mat, and walk. Again, showing Jesus who he is in his identity, his character, his being. He's criticized for eating with tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus' response is, in verse 17 of chapter 2, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I came for sinners and tax collectors. He's questioned about Sabbath in chapter 2, and in verse 28, he says, So the Son of Man is the Lord, even of the Sabbath. Again, revealing his character, his identity, his being. The man with the shriveled hand in chapter 3, in verse 6, Jesus says, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. The Pharisees and the Herodians are plotting to kill Christ. But they couldn't until Christ's time came. Jesus' family considered him out of his mind, and they went to take charge of him. And in response to that, Jesus says, whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Establishing a new family. He's accused of being possessed by Beelzebub, and what does he do? He rebukes those who accused him. Again, showing who he is. In chapter 4, 35 through 41, we find a furious squaw. Comes up in the ocean. And in chapter 4, in verse 39, he get up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. Again, revealing who he is, he has an authority over even nature. In chapter 5, 1 through 20, we find he casts cast out a legion of demons. Over and over in Mark's gospel, he presents Christ and who he is, his work showing who he is and his identity, his character, and his being. Now let's illustrate that. I am told, if you read at least, at an iceberg, 90% of it is below water, 10% is above water. You decrease what is below the water, you decrease what is above the water. Keep that in mind as we look at another illustration. If you read about Babylon, you will find that history would tell us that the walls around the city of Babylon were some 300 feet high. They dug 35 feet below ground level For the foundation, 80 feet wide at the base of the foundation. On the top of the wall of Babylon, you could ride three chariots side by side. It was that wide at the top. But obviously, for that wall to stand, there had to be a good foundation. The character The identity, the being of Jesus, and its expression in his words, his actions, and his work. That is, the cross of resurrection and future glory can be illustrated. Going back to the iceberg, his identity, his character, his being is what is underneath the waterline. His healings, his teaching with authority, his words, his other actions... Or the tip of the iceberg. But you can't have an iceberg without having something underneath the water. You can't have Jesus without his identity, his character, his being. Using the wall illustration, that which is below the ground is the character, the identity, the being of Jesus Christ. That which is above, or the words, actions, and work of Jesus Christ. Can a wall without a foundation be a wall? My answer would be no. You can't have Jesus in his works, his actions, without his character, his identity, his being. The Gospel of Mark bombards us with Jesus and His character, his identity, his being. From them spring his works, his actions, his words. Who is Jesus? Mark chapter 1. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus is the gospel. It's the good news about Jesus Christ. He's unique because he is the gospel and he's the Son of God. Verse verse 1 says that and verse 11 A voice came from heaven, you're my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Obviously, God the Father speaking, you're my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. In chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, we find that Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit. That's verses 7 and 8, not verse 1. Either a typo or my mistake, but either way. He's going to baptize it with the Holy Spirit. That's what is coming. And in John chapter 16, Jesus says to his disciples, well, 14 and 16, I must go away so that the Spirit can come. Jesus is sensitive to God's Spirit. Verse 12, at once the Spirit sent him out into the desert. And he was in the desert 40 days being tempted by the Spirit. He was with wild animals and angels attended him. And again, the fact that He is sensitive to God's spirit as seen in the Gospels. Verse 13, he's able to resist the devil. And that's not limited to verse 13. But over and over in the Gospel of Mark, we find that Christ deals with the devil, resists him, cast out a legion of demons, cast out a demon in chapter 1. The words and actions and works of Jesus to the point we are in Mark. In Mark chapter 5, point to his character, his being, his identity, being the son of God, being unique, being the one who is sensitive to the spirit, the one who gives the spirit, and so on. We won't look at all these passages, but he proclaimed, the good news of God chapter 121 through 28 he taught with authority and what are people or what's the people's response they're amazed now who is this guy he quieted and cast out an evil spirit which we mentioned before again showing his identity his character his being he healed Peter's mother-in-law he healed various diseases and drove out demons he prayed He talked to his father. And it almost seems as he talked with with his father, his father guided him because when the disciples came to him, he said, We got to go elsewhere. A successful ministry where he was, and he says, We got to go elsewhere. He preached in the synagogue and drove out demons. He healed a man with leprosy, he healed the paralytic. He called Levi a tax collector. He ate with tax collectors and sinners. He taught concerning fasting. He taught concerning the Sabbath. He called 12 men to be with him and to drive out demons. He's going to give them authority to do that. All of that communicating who Christ is. He taught concerning blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. He redefined family. He taught his disciples concerning the kingdom of God in Mark chapter 4. He talked about the parable of the sower. The lamp on the stand. He's Lord over nature. When we discuss Mark chapter 4 and his being Lord over nature, it's kind of astonishing to picture the disciples, the 12 and other boats that were with them, being tossed about. They're fearful for their life, And Christ calms the storm, showing his identity, his character, his being. He was Lord over a legion of demons in Mark chapter 5, 1 through 20. I want to contrast that with Genesis 1 through 11. Genesis 1 through 11. We find that I think it's the foundation to the entire Bible on the left hand side. Genesis 1 through 11, I think being the foundation to the entire Bible. On the right hand side, the identity, the being, the character of Jesus, foundational to the gospel. The entire Bible to the cross, to the resurrection. Christ's glory can a wall without a foundation be a wall I don't think so can Christ in his works his actions his words mean anything without the foundation his identity his character his being no The wrong way. The impact of the correct foundation, again, another mistake. Impact of the correct foundation, not the current foundation. <laughs> I'll take credit for that one because that's the way it was given. The impact of the correct foundation, the impact of Christ in his identity, his character, his being. What is the impact of that in life today? It's foundational to the correct gospel of Jesus Christ. There can be no correct gospel of Jesus Christ if Christ is not who he claimed to be, to be the Son of God. To be deity in human form, to be fully human. That's all foundational to correct gospel of Jesus Christ. And we could look at some passages of scripture, but we won't. Secondly, it's foundational to progression in a Christ church marriage. Listen as I read from Ephesians chapter 5. He says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is now Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word. The presenter to himself was a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. If I'm to love Ruth Ann as Christ loves the church, Christ is foundational. If Ruth Ann is to submit to me, follow my leadership as the church is to Christ, Christ is foundational. In his identity, his character, his being. If Christ is not who he claimed to be, there cannot be marriages which are progressing in picturing Christ in the church. Having been married over a little over 40 years, I'm slowly learning to picture Christ in relating to Ruth Ann. Saturday morning, I wrote her a little note. I said, "Honey, Ruth Ann, I'm not sure which term I used anymore. I just want you to know that one of the greatest joys that I have in life is to see you enjoy something." And that came after my doing something with her that she didn't think I really enjoyed. You ever stop to think that Christ gets joy out of the body of Christ, enjoying life and relating to Him? But my response to Ruth Ann has been a growing thing that there's much greater joy in giving than there is in receiving. But that's because of Christ and who he is and his identity, his character, and his being and what he did on the cross, the way he lived and the way he responded. Critical to living in that way. It is also critical, that is Christ and his identity, character, being, critical in moving towards godly offspring. In Ephesians chapter 6, "'Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother,' which is the first commandment with a promise." that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Moving towards godly offspring is dependent upon Christ and who he is and his identity, his character, his being. What father will not exasperate children if it isn't for Christ? Fathers don't have to practice at exasperating children. It comes natural. So my kids would ask to do something. I'll tell you later. A little later. Dad, can we? I'll tell you a little bit later. Dad, can we? Tell you a little bit later. It didn't register. I was exasperating my kids. So Ann says, what are we going to do on a certain night? And I say, well, I don't know yet. Next morning. Dan, what are we going to do tonight? I don't know yet. You can almost read the exasperation level going up the frustration level. Christ, who he is and his character, his identity, his being is critical in how a father, a mother responds to their children. It's also critical in living from grace and desire, not duty. don't respond to this please why did you come this morning don't answer just think about why did you come this morning did you think you had to or did you desire to because of christ and who he is and his identity his character and his being So I'm sitting at home alone, Ruthann, somewhere, and I get on the Internet. And when I get on the Internet, you know, some things pop up. Most of them are decent. But let's suppose something popped up that is not good as it relates to my responding to Ruthann. And I think, no one's home. No one's looking in the windows. No one's going to ever know what I look at. What do I do? Out of duty, do I say, I better not look at those images? Or out of desire, do I say, God, I don't want to look at anything that's inappropriate. I'm committed to Ruth Ann. I love her and I care for her. Christ is at work in me, He is my life. I don't want to go there. See, one's duty, one's desire. One's grace, the other is duty. As we grow in Christ and understand Christ, who he is and his character, his being, his identity, in our day-by-day living, we move from grace. I'm sorry, from duty to grace. It affects just being ambassadors for Christ. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 12 talk about you know, taking care of our body, being holy, and then he says, you know, mind your own business, work with your own hands. Ever think about you're an ambassador in your day day-by-day living? This happened. This is not makeup in any way. Someone was telling me about someone in our church, and the person is here this morning. And they said, you know, that person... Really works hard, is a person of integrity, and is to be trusted. Coming from unbelievers, that opens a door for someone to share Christ. That's part of being an ambassador. But it's founded upon Christ and his character, his identity, as being. Christ transforming that person in the way they work, the way they handle themselves. Again, foundational. It just also affects body life. We're part of a body. Christ is our head. Who he is in his character, his identity, his being, influences how we respond to one another. By nature, I am very proficient, as most of us are being islands. We live by ourselves. You know, we can handle life. But as we come to understand who Christ is and his character, his identity, his being, we begin to reach out to one another. So the kid who is in school struggling with some grade or struggling with another student or struggling with some teacher shares that with others and says, will you pray for me? That's body life. Letting others minister. But again, dependent upon Christ. and enables us to recognize false teaching. application are we helping new believers teens children to grasp the true identity character and being of Jesus are we reminding mature believers of the identity character and being of Jesus the character identity being of Jesus Christ comes before the cross before the resurrection in his glory I sense that sometimes we offer to our world what Jesus did without offering them Jesus in his majestic character identity and being As I said, the character, identity, and being of Jesus comes before what he did. It's foundational. It's what is under the waterline. It's what's under the ground for a wall. As we grow in understanding Christ and his identity and his being, we follow Christ, not for what he will do, but because of who he is. There's a world of difference. If I follow Christ for what he will do and he doesn't give me what I want and jump when I tell him to jump, then I get frustrated. But if I'm following Christ for who he is, and tomorrow I stand before Nero and Nero says, You're going to light my garden tonight, praise God, I get to suffer for Jesus. I'm following him. World of difference. We follow Jesus merely because of what he did. It tends to result in passive believers. Whereas if we follow him because of who he is and his character, identity, and being, a hunger and a desire to know Christ, that will be present more and more. The more I understand Christ and who he is and I study the Gospels, I think, wow, why wouldn't I follow him? Not because I'm going to go to heaven when I die. that's a factor. It's because Christ lives in me. He's at work. Not understanding Christ who He is in his character and identity and being in a growing manner, there might be little passion to share the good news. Whereas so understanding who Christ is questions beyond believers to transform lives and relationships. I won't mention names, but more of you than you realize in the way you live day by day are opening doors for other people to share Christ. The foundation of that is Christ and his identity, his being, and his character. What happened to so-and-so? I knew them 20 years ago, and they're different today. Jesus. It moves from being a stagnant believer to one being transformed, whatever rate that may be, into greater and greater Christ-likeness, you know, tr- transformed in desires and attitudes and motives. Not merely the action, but the inner person. I experienced that this week on the radio on for a little in the van, and they were talking about Obama and medical care issue and, you know, religious organizations are to provide, and then there was all science kinds of talk, and after just a little bit, I thought, I have no desire to hear this, no desire to hear the criticism and backbiting that was going on. It's God at work changing. We may look for better methods and programs. It moves us to dependency upon Christ alone. We may focus on excess concern on surface items such as music, worship style programs for kids, etc. I'm not saying any of them are wrong, but it helps us to see the foundational or the foundational concern for character. Identity, being of Christ, than the cross and the resurrection. Moves us from give me to what can I give. It moves us from trying to relying. The foundation Christ, his character, his identity, his being. Another application. The character, identity, the being of Jesus is foundational to living well in a world of many gods. Polytheism. And that's present in our world. A lot of gods in our world today, including the U.S. Islam. Buddhism. Hinduism. Mormonism. Jehovah's Witnesses. Evolution. You say you list that as a Uh, Religion, yes. It's a belief system. It's not based on fact. It's based on a belief system. Self, many times as a God. Just consumerism, things. Christ and his character, identity, and being is far above all of those items all of those isms, all of those religions. But it's dependent upon who he is and his character, his identity, and his being. Since Christ, identity, character, and being is displayed in his power, Why do we as a local, or local churches look to methods, programs, and music to reach people? We think if we get this program, if we have this item, if we have this music, we'll reach people. And you've got to use some method, to understand. But what about just transforming lives? Day by day by day transforming lives are the greatest testimony of Christ and who he is don't worry about it I'm going to skip over a couple here as we're transformed how about the man who now admits wrong and seeks forgiveness the husband who goes to his wife and says honey I'm wrong will you forgive me and she has a heart attack because she has lived with him for 25 years and he never did that but Christ is getting a hold of him. He's grasping Christ, who he is, and his identity, character, and being. And that beginning to transform him. Or how about the teen who willingly does chores at home without being told repeatedly? The sixteen-year-old who is told by mom, here's what you're to do. And sixteen-year-old says, Yes, Mom. And mom goes, What's wrong with her? Getting a handle on Christ and who he is in his identity, character, and being. How about the man who extends grace? I'm sorry. The lady who listens to criticism without striking back, whereas before she would have lashed back, accepts it and responds with kindness. How about the man who extends grace to another man who blew it repeatedly sexually and seeks to come alongside and minister to him? How about the teen who reaches out to the lonely teen in school youth group, able to pick them out and really love them. The fruit of the Spirit in day-by-day living. Husbands, fathers who are leading. Please understand <coughs> that without Christ being who he is we're like a balloon on top of the water nothing underneath we're like a wall that is on top of the ground with nothing underneath if I had the opportunity and were interested in it what two things would I do To seek to destroy the body of Christ and its effectiveness in the world. Two, I would choose. One would be, I would deny Genesis 1 through 11. It's not true. Secondly, I would let there be a tremendous focus on the works of Jesus, the words of Jesus, the acts of Jesus. But I would downplay his identity Character and his being. Because if you have no creator God and you don't have Jesus and his identity, character, and being, you have no Christianity, no relationship with God that is possible only through Christ. I'm pleading strongly. For a firm conviction and understanding of Christ and who he is and his identity, his being, his character, as displayed in his works, his actions, his healings, because that is foundational to our day-by-day walk with Jesus Christ. Let's sing together about Christ and who he is as Travis comes. <clears throat>